Welcome to the Power of Property podcast. I am your host, Ellie Mackay, a property investor and developer. And this podcast is for anyone who shares my passion for property. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, I want to take you to the next level. I'm going to be bringing some real chat with some of the UK's leading property entrepreneurs. We'll be sharing wisdom and industry insights without any of the BS. Property's absolutely transformed my life and I know it has the potential to change yours too. Enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Power of Property where I am joined by the fabulous Rochelle Gilburn. Now Rochelle is actually a friend of mine and her story is absolutely incredible. She's been on the property scene for two years and she's already achieved some incredible stuff. Um, Really looking forward to sharing a little bit about her background with you, the project she's working on, the trials and tribulations and everything in between. So welcome, Rochelle. Thank you. That was a good introduction. It's quite good. I've been totally very good at introductions. If if this property stuff doesn't work out, I am just going to offer my services as a professional introducer. Oh yeah, Just follow people around and yeah, like a hear ye, hear ye type scenario. (laughs) So obviously, Rochelle, I know how you got into property, but for anyone who doesn't know... um, how did it all come about? Yeah, um, so I blame you. It's all, yeah. it's all your fault. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> um, so obviously we met back in Cuba. I can't even remember how long ago it was. Four or five years ago, something. Two thousand seventeen. Like yeah. So a, a while ago, and I can. I, I always remember when you and Mark told me and my my hus- late husband at the, at the time um, that you were getting into property <laughs> and what you were doing and you were you like we're buying property and we're using other people's money and we got home and we were like what were they talking about like they're doing property courses they're definitely getting ripped off like not <laughs> not got a clear what they're doing yeah <laughs> um, and you were so excited and enthusiastic about it all and it but it just didn't it didn't make sense to us who weren't on the property scene and didn't really have a have a clue um, so obviously over the every time we met up you told us more and more about your your journey and everything that was going on and the the more I became interested in what you what you were doing um but I'd always I'd always had an interest in property I'd always been like watching homes under the hammer and I'd always thought oh I'd love to own like a whole street I'd love to yeah. have a portfolio I could see the the benefit of it um but yeah John had never he, he had one property that he rented out but he never was interested in building it any further so I just had my little part-time job in marketing I got my my two kids and like as a as a teenager I was really motivated and had loads mm. of sort of ambition and I wanted to do loads of stuff with my life but then it was almost like it just came to a point where I was just this little family woman which for some people is absolutely fine but for me I always felt like there was something mm-hmm. something missing in uh, inside of me mm. so um obviously met met you was doing marketing I worked at the same company for like 14 years I think because you so you worked at the um Sheffield um dog group, track yeah greyhound yeah. racing um yeah I started off there as a waitress when I was 16 yeah uh, alongside college and then uni and then I did graphic design at college and uh-huh. then when they found out I could edit the posters and stuff they um 
they, they gave me a job at minimum wage doing things that, that other other people were charging £60 an hour for. Um, but it was brilliant. It was a good experience for me and I really, I really did love it. And um, John was obviously in a very senior position. He was like the CEO. He was in a great salary, but he was very much exchanging his time for money. He, he was sort of your classic. He was very risk averse, wasn't he? Yeah. Very, um, I, I suppose like the majority of people are, he, he sort of, Good salary, good education, lovely house, good standard of living. Um, but in terms of reinvesting and turning that into like long-term generation, generational wealth, um, he was very sort of structured and set in his ways, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was very good at, at saving and, and stuff like that. And he was good, very good financially. His background was in accounting. Um, and because because of that, everything was very organised and he did all the, the bills for the house and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I didn't really have a have a clue. I just went and did my part time job and paid paid for my bit. And he looked after all the all the finances. But yeah, he had a lot of opportunities in his life where he, he turned them down for a safer, a safer option. And mm-hmm. it was always like, yeah, I, I, I need this safe job. Like the way he looked after the dog track, everyone thought, Everyone thought that he owned it because he treated it like it was his own. He put yeah. that much effort into it, and um, and the the owner of it didn't really have anything to do with it unless it was spending like a a, a vast amount of money. Uh, and, he, and he absolutely he loved it. So he did he loved his job, and it and it, it did well for for him. Um, but I know he always had sort of regrets where he knew that he could have he was capable of setting up his own business mm-hmm. and he could have created something that, like you say, created that generational wealth for, for all his all his family. Um, but yeah, it's just being willing to take that risk, isn't it? And, yeah, you know. I, I remember him actually having a conversation with Mark about that. I think after the initial scepticism, the more we met up with you guys and the more you could see that we were we were starting to to do well, not just a spark in our eyes, but the actual properties we were kind of acquiring at the time. And John had sort of confided in Mark that it had always been a, um, like you say, it had always been a regret, something that he wished with, with retrospect he'd got involved with earlier. But I think even at that point, he would have probably not been willing to take the plunge with anything that was deemed as sort of risky. Yeah, that's it. It was always like playing it safe yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. keeping what you've got close to you sort of sort of thing. Um so yes, yeah, so that that was sort of our background. Me and my me and my husband, I'm like the working working part time. Um and then when in two thousand eighteen John passed away and that mm. sort of changed everything for me didn't it really it's um, a big change in our lives and it was one of those things where as soon as it happened it was quite it was completely unexpected and I threw myself into like sorting out all the finances sorting out the funeral didn't want to sit still for too long um didn't want to think about anything for too long and then I think it was about six seven weeks later I went back to work but obviously because we worked together it was just um, a very strange environment to to be in mm-hmm. and not have him there. Yeah. Um, so that's when I really started thinking. Oh, I want. I, I want to. I want to have a change. I don't want to do nothing, but mm-hmm. I want to look for something uh, where I can progress my career and I can get that fire back inside of me that I used to that I used to have. 
and I started looking for jobs and I think this is where as a as a mum somebody wanting to have a career it's just really difficult because you get very few part-time jobs the part-time jobs that are available you can't really it, there's no progression they're usually quite quite low mm-hmm. um, so it was like almost like a step back for me with some of the jobs and then when I looked full-time I just couldn't work, make it work dropping the kids off at school and even with after school clubs and things like that I couldn't physically get to pick them pick them both up in time mm-hmm. with the times I'd need to finish so it just made it almost impossible to take my my career forward um, I did I left without a job to go to mm-hmm. and then I found a little job in Doncaster and that was a really it 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 was a bit of a well quite a bit of a step backwards um but it sort of introduced me to the world of of property because mm-hmm. it was working for a, a lady who had an estate agent and a mortgage broker and then obviously the more I talked to you the more I was like okay I think this is the time I've got a bit of spare money let's get a little bit of a portfolio um bill because initially you were investing with us yeah, as a client it. weren't yeah, you yeah yeah because it, it was like okay here here Ellie you do all the hard work and uh, find, <laughs> find, <in> my life. <laughs> find, me the, find me the property give me a good return on my money that sort of thing um, but then the more, because of my marketing background, obviously you love marketing. I think we were just, every time we met up, we'd have like hours of talking about marketing. Yeah. And uh, the more I found out about your business, the more I thought, actually, this is something I'd quite like to explore yeah. myself. And I never, I never went into it thinking that I was going to build a massive business. It was more just a way of like keeping me busy and finding myself a few properties and earning a bit of an extra income yeah um, but as soon as as soon as I did um, did the property course it set me on fire and I was just like I, I need this in my life and I felt that passion back and like what I'd had as a teenager yeah um, that ambition and one knowing that I'm capable of so much more and I'd, I'd lost all that before and now I feel like I've I've got it back it's really interesting because Back in the day when I worked in quite a high-performance sales environment, when there was my late teens, early 20s, you know, I was making an absolute killing, but I had that fire that you're describing. I was passionate, I was motivated, you know, I was getting up at the crack of dawn and working till late, and I absolutely loved what I did. But then somewhere over the years, you know, life gets in the way, circumstances yeah. happen, getting into a bit of victim mentality at times and you can lose sight of, of what the aspirations are. Yeah, that's it. It's almost you're just getting stuck in a rut and although my life wasn't bad, I had a nice life. Yeah. It also was just like say living the same day, living the same year over and over again and with nothing nothing new happening and I always knew I was capable of so much more. It's interesting because from an outside perspective, a lot of people would have thought you had the dream life. You had a really nice house, lovely car five-star holidays a couple of times a year, but you didn't have that sense of fulfillment, which a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to. You knew, like you just said, that you were capable of more. And what point did you start to dare to believe that you were capable of achieving some of those goals? Um, I think it was when when I first start... I started talking to you about like, audio books and things like that, and I think you recommend. I give you homework. Yeah, you <laughs> give me, me, me homework, and I think the first one you told me to listen to was the Secret. It was, yeah. And then um, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I think yeah. the more I started listening to these, and it 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 was almost like I'd I went to uni and I didn't really learn much at, at uni, um, and then I'd taught myself bits throughout my career, but I'd never had any 
train like I absolutely loved school and I love learning yeah and, and I loved college and I kind of forgot that I had that love of learning and I probably not learned very very much but then when I started listening to audiobooks and I'm starting to get all this new information and yeah. then um and and then starting to read into property and learning new things down that line and I'm thinking oh this is this is amazing I love I love learning new stuff and I think that's that's when it was really um that Isn't was it- sort of the start of it I was going to say it was interesting because I remember back when you were investing with us because you were investing on a fixed return basis. So it wasn't, um, I, I think, well, I think we did it twofold with you, didn't we? We were doing the portfolio yeah. because we were doing the fixed return, but initially it was just the fixed return. And you were saying, oh, can I, can I come and see your projects? I was kind of like, well, you don't really need to because it's, you know, it's fixed return. You just get your you get your commission whatever you're interested at the end of every year. You're like, no, I'm, I'm really interested, which was weird because I am interested in business. I'm interested in marketing. I'm interested in raising finance, structuring things, um, but not really that interested in property. <laughs> you know, watching homes under the hammer would be my idea of hell. Yeah. And I remember you like saying, come on, let's go and see these properties. And you were just so enthusiastic. <laughs> we were taking around one of the projects I just finished and there was another one on the same street street that they were sort of midway through and I'm kind of like you know really bored them your eyes are lighting up yeah so, I do like, love it I love going and seeing the properties that like have got the old horrible carpets and <laughs> gas fires and you can see that once it was a loved family home but then it's at some point it's lost it, it's its way and then bringing it back and restoring it and making it into a nice family home again I love like the the before and the after and the process it's yeah, it's something that I enjoy. It, it was interesting because you mentioned you did the property training. At that point, you're getting around a lot of people that think in a similar way. They're clearly there to, to better themselves. But you hit a bit of opposition getting to that point, didn't you? From like well-meaning friends and family members, as did we. You know, you're being scammed. People that teach this stuff, it, they're doing it because they don't make any money. Um, and, and people are very sceptical aren't they and and often quite rightly so and like I said before it's definitely with the right intentions they've got your best interests at heart but it's yet another hurdle to actually overcome before you because you you were left quite a considerable considerable amount of inheritance money and your family were worried that you were being exploited weren't they yeah I think similar to how me and me and John didn't really understand what you were doing I think that's what a lot of people don't understand like my friends were saying oh well why would people pay you to go and find them a house why won't they just buy something off right move yeah. like it doesn't make sense you know nothing about property why are they going to invest the money with you uh, so there's all these things and then I, and then you start thinking well actually I don't know anything about property and people aren't going to invest in me and, and it can be a negative spiral yeah. spiral down but it you know it's uh, overcoming those obstacles and I, I'm almost I think probably a bit like you when someone tells me I can't do something I'm a bit like uh, well yeah I can <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so it, it's almost like a motivating factor to to prove people that you are capable of doing what you what you say you you're gonna do I know we do a lot of self-development but let's be honest there's definitely an element of me that's uh, fueled by spite you know, stubbornness <laughs> whatever you want to call it somebody tells me I can't do something and you want to just give them the finger yeah and then also you. prove it to yourself because yeah. I think like that's one thing that's changed massively me in me over the last couple of years is my, my mindset and my belief in myself and mm-hmm. even like doing doing this like I always loved getting up in assembly at school and, and <laughs> speaking but you forget about those things and then you your confidence in it dwindles but then now the more I'm speaking to more people getting on podcasts and getting interviewed you get more and more comfortable doing it and 
That's, um, you know, my, my mindset's grown massively and I really do believe in myself now, whereas uh, well, I never you, had that before. You, you've got, you, um, you know, quite, quite a decent track record within a very short space of time, which we'll go into, but your marketing background really held you in good stead because when you can master the art of raising finance and onboarding investors, the opportunities in property, regardless of your strategy, are limitless and this is something that you identified very quickly that you had a skill for yeah that's it a lot of people when i got into property they just couldn't see the link between marketing and property mm -hmm. but in fact that yeah like you say the marketing's done me so well because the first goal i had in mind was right i want everyone in sheffield to know who i am mm -hmm. and i want ev everyone in property to know who i am and just so I started off by posting on LinkedIn and just well seeing what how, what you've done on LinkedIn and thinking right okay how can I use my skills from marketing like at the dog track I'd built up a Facebook page of like 20,000 people and I had to post the same things like quite a few times and it's like coming up with new ways of saying the same mundane information so yeah. it's like right I can do this uh, so I started doing that and then when we went into lockdown like I literally I'd set up my I'd set up websites I'd invested a lot of money into getting my business up and running and then all of a sudden it was like ground to a halt because I was no longer allowed to view properties or yeah. do anything like that so I had to think right well I don't want to stop but I've got this this motivation and I've, I've got this like momentum I want to keep going so how can I keep building my building my profile so that people know who I am so mm -hmm. that when they are ready to invest in property and when I can get back out and view properties and find them they'll know to they'll know to come to me yeah um and it it was just it really was just a like a, a domino effect of me me posting obviously I wasn't doing any property so I couldn't particularly post anything about property but it was just posting about things that happened to me on a daily basis or things that I'd read about listened to in audiobooks uh, things that my kids were doing just letting people get to know who I was and people seemed to like what I was saying and engage with it well and I got lots of connections from it. And when I started out in that January, I had 250. And I think by the end of August, I'd got 15,000. Yeah. So it, it built up quite quickly. And, and you were converting that to money. And I think this is, you and I disprove a lot of the common perceptions around social media and raising finance. And I know a lot of successful people that um, go out and raise finance on Facebook and things like that. But for us, LinkedIn was, was our stomping ground, really, wasn't it? And we were going against the grain to the mainstream narrative within property because very similar to you, when we started out, we didn't have any properties to brag about. So we did our property training and we bought two properties within four days. But you know what convinces? Like we didn't physically have the keys to those properties for months. It was one complication after another, which is definitely the story of our life, I think. <laughs> Certainly our property <laughs> journey. Uh, but that wasn't going to stop me making a name for myself. So from literally day one, started posting on LinkedIn, um, didn't have any property experience. So I was talking about things that I'm passionate about, like the highs and lows of the entrepreneurial roller coaster, like the challenges of trying to be a present parent for your three kids, whilst also putting yourself out there and building your brand and having to travel to um, events and network and things like that. Talking about mental health, talking about anything that was relevant to me at that time. And I was almost surprised at how easy it was to raise finance through, and it wasn't even a strategy, if I'm being honest, it was just being authentic. Yeah. And by the time we actually got the keys to those properties, we'd raised a couple of hundred grand. And 
it's interesting because people talk about social proof this, social proof that. We want to see your numbers. We want to see you doing, uh, you know, Facebook Live video walkarounds and things like that. And it's it's horses for courses, and and that does work for the majority of people. But I'm quite passionate about shouting about my own experience, which is the complete opposite of that. And and actually, when I did change strategy and start doing more video walkarounds and. Uh, before and after photos and that kind of thing, I actually found it a lot more difficult to raise the finance. Um, yes, we were onboarding clients, but it was portfolio clients or people who wanted us to get a, an HMO or what have you. And actually our avatar was the fixed return investors. Yeah. So I think there was a perception, um, although we weren't sort of, we were positioning ourselves as that preeminent authority and there was that perception online that perhaps we were further on than we were, which definitely helped us attract the investors. And yeah. I know you had very similar experience. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes I feel like, I think people think I've been in it a lot longer than I had. Like I've not even completed on one property and I had someone asking if I could mentor them and I'm yeah. like, whoa, 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 I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> um, like, And it, it wasn't through anything I was saying. I weren't saying, oh, I've got this many properties or anything like that. I think it's just because you are so confident within yourself with what you're posting and you are just being yourself people aren't really used to that people are used to everyone trying to sell 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 yeah and I think when you actually step back and you're not trying to sell and you're just trying to give people good value and content it's almost like I don't I won't class myself as a, an influencer but when you get your influencers on on Instagram people buy into them first and then when they sell something it's like yeah I want that or when they wear Absolutely. an outfit yeah I want that so it's it's like painting a, a picture of yourself letting people get to know you and then and if they know you and they like you and you offer them a product that they, they need or want, they'll they'll come to you without you having to hunt it down. So you've got the clients, you've started to raise investment, restrictions start to ease <laughs> temporarily. <laughs> <laughs> we got a window. Um, and then what happened? Um, yeah, so I start obviously started viewing properties and putting offers in and um, getting offers accepted and... Um, but like you say, the conveyancing process take, can take quite a while. Mm. So it wasn't until the beginning of 2021 when I completed my first property. And I was also quite, um, I wanted, I'd never done property before. So I wanted, I didn't want to play with other people's money. So I wanted the first property that I did to be my own property with my own, my own money mm -hmm. so that I could make the mistakes and, um, and try and figure out what was what was going on Prove um, concept, yeah that's yeah. it so I had my, my first property was my own flip that I did um, and then I had another two where the investors were doing the refurbs for themselves so it was kind of like okay let's get used to this sourcing sourcing property for a little while get used to the renovation on on my side uh, can I just ask you that point yeah. where were you sourcing the properties were you doing digital marketing were these from right move uh, so the first three the first two that I completed on were on right move and then the third one was off market mm -hmm. um that was just it was just through posting on uh, on Facebook that I got that one um and all, all three of them were were really were really good deals it was um I, I was surprised 
Talk us through <laughs> some like, numbers. Yeah, then. I'm like, oh, I can actually do this. Well, the, the first one that I sourced for my investor, there was a lot of people um, want the BRR model. Um, so for a refinance. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I'd, I'd found this property. I'm like, right, there's 12 grand left in it after you've refinanced. Uh, and then he came back to me a few months after after um, saying oh, I refinanced it. I put ninety seven grand into it and I got a hundred and one grand out. And I was wow. like, that was not the deal I sold you. I would have definitely kept that one myself if I'd known. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it, it it was brilliant because I'm like, well, that's that's great for one one of my first deals that I've done. Yeah. Um, and the first flip that I did, I, like I said, I just wanted to get my teeth into it. So it probably when I. I had the offer accepted it wasn't the best deal i was probably looking at getting a maximum of like 15 grand out of it but then because of what the the market did i ended up getting 30 grand profit from it so that was um that was really good because it was i would have literally been happy with that one if it had broken even it was just literally for experience and for learning it was almost like an investment in itself just to put my money into something that was going to teach me how to how a refurb goes and yeah. how you buy a property and how you sell a property so it was a, a massive learning curve so if i'd have made no money at all on that i'd have uh, i'd have been perfectly happy but obviously i was much happier with the <laughs> with a 30 grand profit so yeah, yeah so it, it but from from there it was just offer after offer kept getting accepted i kept signing clients up and then i got to one stage where i got quite a few clients and the market was really difficult last year as anyone who's been involved will uh, will know um, because of lockdowns and prices going up and mm. um, and just being a lack of houses on the market, mm. it was difficult to find the properties. And I got to one stage where I'd got, I think, five investors on board and I'd not, I, could, I weren't finding any properties and I sort of started to panic. So I was like, right, I can't take anyone on, else on. Um, I think it was in August when ever, we came out of lockdown and the kids were off school and everyone was like, oh yeah, this is nice, we'll relax, we'll go to the pub, we'll, do, yeah. we'll, we'll live the life we've been missing for the last however long. And it was at that time where I just went out and put loads and loads of offers in because I thought, right, well, I'm going to take advantage of that. There's mm -hmm. not many people viewing properties at the moment because they've all got lazy. Um, so I got quite a few offers accepted that month and then it just continued and continued to... I completed on 12 last year altogether. Fantastic. Um, got another four going through conveyancing. Quite a few refurbs on the go at the moment, which has been uh, a, a big learning learning curve for me. Um, well, let, let's talk about <laughs> that because you've completely on 12 properties, which is bloody brilliant. So hats off to you for that because you. You know, you, you're doing it on your own as well. We mentioned about conveyancing, you had some that took a lot longer than anticipated, yes. some that went through quicker than anticipated, and the end result of that was a lot of completions all finishing at the same time, and it kind of went a bit mental, didn't it? Yeah, that's it. The last six months, I think I've learned more than what I've learned in the whole whole two years. You've gone grey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like it. Um, yeah, it's been, it, it's been a lot of sleepless nights and uh, learning how to project manage like project managing one property on its own is difficult enough but when you've got five all going on at the same time and then you've got an electrician saying oh i can't get there now until monday and your plaster is not turning up at another job and you've you, you know everything every time someone delays something it has a massive knock-on effect on the 
on the project. But we um, were like we were saying, it's not just that project. It's when you've actually got the same tradespeople scheduled to yeah. work on the other projects simultaneously. That's and, it. And all of a sudden, you've got five projects that, that are all no need reshuffling. Yeah. 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 Um, and like through the through the journey with project managing, so I said I did my first flip, my like with my my own money, and I had a, a builder who I thought was a brilliant builder. He'd given me a really good price. I'd had a few different builders quoted. This one seems like yeah. He he knows what he's doing, he's committed to me. He, he were coming and quoting at different projects and everything. Um, so I, I gave him the go ahead, and it turned out actually massively underquoted me. And mm-hmm. he, he did try it like he, he wasn't a bad person, he did try his best to, to like keep doing the work, but it got to a stage where he wasn't making any money anymore, so he was having to go away and do other jobs, and then he ended up pulling out. So then I had to um, I had to call on other people and like right okay who do I know who can finish this refurb and my dad at the time was working for Amazon delivering but he's a builder by trade and he's a really good handyman um, he's just not business minded so mm-hmm. he's never been able to set it up running as a as a proper business so I'm like right I'm gonna get my my dad in to help me finish this refurb um and he did a did a brilliant job of finishing it so i took him on to the the next project and he he did that all of that from start to finish with a few a few trades coming in electrician and and plumber but the the rest of it he he did that so that was um that was brilliant and i started to build up a um a few different trades at different jobs so now i've got a really good electrician and i've got a really good joiner and like everyone started to come in and it's all started to to come together i've got a couple of plasterers um and my boyfriend's now come on board as well he's a he's a joiner um so it's it feels like i've got a a team coming together now and it's definitely chris my boyfriend being involved it's taken a lot of weight off my my shoulders Mm -hmm. um because it's nice having somebody on the job that cares about you as well as the job yeah (laughs) so it's like he'll try and fix the problems whereas you get a lot of trades just like they just send the problems to you and then you've got to try and fix it whereas he'll come up with a, a solution before he um he sort of weighs me down with that but yeah, it's definitely been uh, tested. Character building. Yeah, character <laughs> building, definitely. What's been your biggest lesson throughout it all then? Uh, I think I'm very... I'm the kind of person I trust everyone until they give me a reason not to, which I think at times has been a bit of a a, a downfall because um, not everybody is on the same sort of wavelength and has the same intentions. Um, so you know you get people like people just like that people not turning up when they're supposed to or not turning up at all not coming back to you mm-hmm. people letting you down I think I, I've I've definitely I've learned a lot about myself in terms of like where my strengths lie and where mm-hmm. I definitely need to to get better like I've always, I think one of the reasons why I did so well to like to start with in comparison to to other people is, is that I'm very much like I get stuck in but I'm, I was finding the house and I was finding the investors so I was all shiny on the front end and the back end was a bit chaotic mm-hmm. so it's like focusing now on well when you've got five refurbs on the go you need to like I need to be recording everything I need to be using spreadsheets I need to be doing planning and knowing where everyone is 
Um, and I'm not naturally an organised person. So mm-hmm. it's like working on, okay, this is how I can be more organised. This is how I can put systems and processes into place in my in my business. Asking for help. Like, I'm very rubbish at asking for help. I'm mm-hmm. always like, oh, I'll just do it myself. And then it weighs, weighs down, weighs down, weighs down until I've like got no choice but to, to ask people for help. So it's all these, these little things that I've learnt about myself that I know going forward will help me to, to grow the business. And I want to get it to a point where... I've got the choice of working in or out of the out of the business. So that's, yeah. that's my goal to have a, a sourcing company that runs without with or without me. Yeah. Um, so I can go away for two weeks and the business will still be making money and somebody will be managing the projects. And it's a great point though because we talk a lot about systems and leveraging other people, but the reality is unless you've got a wad of money behind you when you start with business, and even then it's not necessarily the the solution to to go hiring people on day one. You are jack of all trades. You're wearing a lot of different yeah. hats, and it takes a while to see what parts of the business you naturally gravitate towards. Um, what will be the next thing that you outsource? Because you've recently brought your, your mum on board as well. Yeah, yeah? so mum's been working part-time as sort of admin, doing some viewings, organising some trades and just taking a little bit of weight off uh, off my shoulders. But she's going to do the, the property course in March. So yeah. she'll be coming and then she'll be coming on full-time. Um, so I'm hoping because I just haven't physically got the time or like the mind space to teach her everything that I know. So mm-hmm. I'm like, right, just go and learn everything I know, and then you can be a lot more helpful to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll have her out. Like, I need to find more. I want to find more properties. Um, you know, pro- project managing more of the the properties and just basically being a another version of me is what I'd what I'd like. Fantastic. <laughs> Will you be looking to bring on board a full time project manager at any yeah. point? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I want I want to have a, a full a full team of people. Not a massive team, but I definitely like a, a team of people because there's so much else that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to build, but definitely want to build my own portfolio up. Um, but also, I want to do more uh, more public speaking. I'd like to do more podcasts. Like I do. I think that's one thing I've learned is marketing is the thing that I love. Yeah. Not necessarily property, although, like I say, I do. I love seeing the process of the property. But actually, um, you know, you won't catch me with a paintbrush or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying to you right at the start, I was like, "So, what are your aspirations? Where do you want to take this?" And you're like, "I want to be on Loose Women." Oh yeah. When oh, I'm yeah. on Loose Women, that's it. I yeah. made it. <laughs> and I don't mean just as a guest. I mean as like a presenter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's. All. I always wanted to pre- present. Um, calendar like did you yeah be on the on the news that's what that was one of my uh, my dreams as a child i don't know why calendar but yeah <laughs> maybe you could set up like a property news station yeah you could do like daily daily bulletins on the market yeah that's that it. <laughs> um, so yeah that's like i've got other other things that i want to get on with but i've yeah i want i still want to have a property business i think with sourcing a lot of people it's something that people use to start out with and then they move, they quickly get bored and move on, and it's not for everyone because it is hard work and yeah, um, and it's doing things that a lot of people don't don't want to do, and being on the on the ground and essentially making money for other people. But I I really like that. I really like that. I'm not only helping to build something for my family, but I'm helping to build something for other people's families as well. Fantastic. So that's uh, yeah, that's one of the 
the goals. And you're starting to build your own property portfolio now as well. Yeah, so last year it was all about building the business and sourcing for other people and I did a few flips, but then this year it's all, it's not all about, I still want to be doing that, but I also want to build my own portfolio. So I started to get a bit jealous, like I'm doing all these nice properties up for people and thinking, oh, I I want to keep this one, I like this one, I wish (laughs) I bought this one. (laughs) Um, And then an opportunity came along in, um, I think it was October, November time to to buy one. So we went went for it. Um, And then, yeah, the renovation on that should be finished by the end of of next week. And uh, that's a, a a great deal for us. So it's, um, yeah, on to find the next one once that, once the money's back out of that one. So you're looking to continue to build your own property portfolio, scale the property sourcing business, yeah. expand that. Um, any other strategies that you're looking to get involved with? Are you looking to get involved in any sort of bigger projects? Um, like long term, I'd love to be able to get a plot of land and build some houses and stuff. But I think at the moment, that's not, that's, a few years away mm-hmm. um so my, my goal for this year is just to get the business to a stage where it, it's running um it's itself um so it might take it's going to take a lot of um, my time investing in the systems and processes and employing staff and, and growing it that way and um yeah and then we'll see what see what next year has do you feel like a real adult <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think that was it. The first time I took on an investor and they paid me my sourcing fee, and I was like, oh God, I'm not playing anymore. This is real. I've got to actually like do, it, it was all like fun and games before then. And then when someone actually paid me, I'm like, right, I've got to actually provide the service now. That's quite, quite scary. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's like, you know that it happens. You see other people raising finance, but that first time somebody transfers money into your account, it's like game on you know yeah. it's, it's a lot of responsibility which obviously we take very seriously yeah. being professionals but you know up until that point it was sort of, sort of like <laughs> giggling I was like oh my god somebody's like transferred us money we probably, I remember we had like a, it was in our business bank account and we had it was on the transfer to 100 grand I think we had like genuinely we had like I think it was 107 pounds <laughs> at the time you know and uh, obviously it just kind of snowballs from there but yeah what do you wish that you knew on day one of your property journey that you know now uh I, I think personally I think I spend too much on on marketing I think I was just like yeah well, I need leads I need leads I need leads but the thing is I was spending the leads were coming in but because I've got no experience I couldn't convert those leads uh-huh. so it's like if I got those leads now 100 like I'm pretty sure I could com- convert them into into deals yeah um so that that would have like I, I tell I speak to a lot of people who are just starting out and I'm like just do the do the start off with the, the free things and build your confidence and I think everyone's in such a rush to like right I want to be full-time in property I want to be making six figures and I think lockdown was probably a really good thing for me because it slowed me down mm-hmm. it allowed me to like work on one thing at a time like it that year it really built my confidence talking to investors so I got to a stage by the end of the year like my first call with an investor I was like shaking and sweating and like my heart was racing and then he turned out to be a, a bit of a time waster but I also realized oh I know quite about a lot about this property and then I, sp- and I just spoke to everyone told everyone what I was doing 
spoke to people who'd got 10 grand, spoke to people who got like like millions and it it was just then you, your confidence just grows and grows the more you talk to people and then mm-hmm. eventually you'll get to the stage where you believe in yourself enough to, to convert. I think that's really good advice because a lot of people give newbies advice based on what they're doing now, yeah. not necessarily what they did back on day one. You know, and I wouldn't recommend anyone puts marketing on credit cards or bank loans yeah. or anything like that. Uh, and we are both passionate; we're advocate, uh, you know, advocates of marketing. But there is ways to to build it up incrementally yeah. without getting yourself into a lot of debt and just doing it in a more in a more cautious manner. Because having that pressure of being minus ten grand, minus twenty grand, minus thirty grand before you've even converted your first property, yeah. that's not a great place to be in terms of your mindset. That's it, definitely not. And I think like a lot of people that I talk to say, "Oh, I can't find any deals," and I'll ask them questions, and I'll be like, "Well, have you have you been viewing any properties on Rightmove?" Like, oh no, we stopped viewing properties on Rightmove because we don't get any deals accepted. I'm like, yeah, but if you don't view properties, you can't put offers in on properties, and then you're not going to get any deals." So mm-hmm. like that's that's a big it's like simple simple advice and you think oh yeah that like that's obvious isn't it view properties put offers in and you get offers accepted but so many people aren't doing that and Mm. they're just they're 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 trying but they're they're not doing the view offer accept well they they give up too easily basically yeah which is totally true and it's a compound effect of just taking that continual action that has such a profound effect but the other thing as well is actually being able to get offers accepted which you can't do if you're not putting the offers in they're also missing the opportunity to make relationships with the agents quite often as you know you might get the owner of the agency coming out and you can build up a bit of rapport tell them about some of our more creative strategies and ways that are a win-win you know because i think the perception is you're always going in and offering 30 you know 30 percent below bmv below market value Mm -hmm. and you know don't get me wrong i'm not opposed to a cheeky offer but that's not necessarily what we're always doing in property but you need to build those relationships um you need to to look the managers of those estate agencies in the eye so they can see what you're all about and and then when when they do give you an opportunity don't waste it you need to be able to execute quickly and um professionally yeah uh, to to really sort of cement that relationship but it all starts with taking the action of the viewing so even if that deal doesn't come to anything the relationship that you might build or the start of the relationship could be priceless yeah that's it some of my best deals have come from an estate agent i met and i, I met him at a couple of viewings and i didn't put an offer in on either of the viewings because they, they were just not for for me um but then when he did have a deal he sent it over to me and said oh would you be interested in in this and i was like oh yeah actually and then i think i've bought three houses through through him so far and he always sort of sends them straight away whenever he gets a a, a deal in so it's 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 literally just through a couple of viewings that I'm there for 10 minutes have a bit of a conversation with him tell him what I'm doing and then when he got a deal he thought of me mm-hmm. so it's that again it's just planting those seeds in people's people's minds so that they don't forget who you are yeah exactly and the other thing I just want to um, touch on is you mentioned there when you're doing your sales calls your discovery calls strategy calls whatever you want to call them in the first instance you weren't getting those conversions and there'll be a lot of listeners that resonate with that yeah. what is it you're doing differently now if you've got any practical tips for people that might be struggling to actually convert the leads into paying customers? I think a lot of it is confidence. And I think in the in the first year when I was having phone calls, it was almost like 
I was I was so des I was so desperate, but then also so scared. Mm -hmm. Like I I knew I weren't I didn't act quick enough, so I didn't. It it was like okay, well I need a, a whole day to build up the confidence to actually phone this person that's filled in a form on my website, mm -hmm. um, and then I'd speak to them, and then I'm like right, I've got to work out how much it's worth now, and I've got to put an offer in, and I'd need to build up my confidence to to manage to do that. So I think it it was literally just it it was just from a, a lack of believing in myself and being absolutely terrified i still don't still don't like doing calls to put offers in when it's direct to vendor it's something i don't think i'll ever i'll ever enjoy doing because i always i'm always scared like am i am i putting is it too much is it too little like doubting myself it's that that uh, and scared that they're gonna be annoyed at my offer or mm. that they're gonna accept it too quickly and i'm like oh, i should have gone a bit lower <laughs> you <can't laughs> you've got all these all these fears going on in your mind and i think the only way to get over that is just by action like i used to be the type of person i hated speaking on the phone i wouldn't i wouldn't pick up the phone to call anyone um and it took a lot of of practice to get used to that even now i still prefer whatsapp but um but i can ring up like i can i speak to investors every single day and and i i treat everyone the same whether they've got a million pound or whether they've got the ten thousand i'm happy to to speak to people and find out what they're about and uh, whether we can work together but it's just building building up that that confidence so you can get to that stage and not be not be scared to talk to people and scared to put offers in you know it's really interesting because that was exactly my experience despite everything that i'd kind of learned when i first started in property i put the person with the money on a pedestal they were like the golden goose and when we were doing those sales calls it was almost putting on my my phone voice you know putting on false ears and graces um, what I perceived to be professional I thought that's what um, the potential clients were looking for and yeah no surprises we weren't really converting them but the more confident I got with myself and our own abilities and the more natural we were on the phone the more that we converted there was no sales script there was no yeah. strategic selling we were just having frank open conversations with people because the reality is and this isn't bullshit it needs to be a win-win for both parties yeah. um, and if you don't get on and you don't have that synergy when you're trying to build long-term relationships then actually you do need to walk away from that situation you know the story the first the hundred thousand pounds i was uh, alluding to earlier when we had a hundred thousand and seven pounds in the business <laughs> bank account that was a fixed return client and uh, we'd done the heads of, heads of terms and all of that kind of thing. Cross the I's and dotted the T, T's and uh, the relationship started to go downhill. Um, the tone of the phone calls, the tone of the emails started to change, speaking to us in quite a derogatory manner. And we actually made the painstaking decision. It was painstaking. That was our, our first client. We'd done some joint ventures. We'd done plenty of joint ventures, 50-50 splits, where somebody puts in the money and we do the work. And um, we, this was our first um, proper investor, if you like. And uh, yeah, we, we made the decision to transfer that money back because it genuinely wasn't a right fit. And we thought if we were allowing ourselves to be treated like this at the very start of our journey, then we're, we're opening ourselves up to a can of worms, really. And it was difficult, but it was the best thing that we did. And we had that abundant mindset long before our bank balance you know, reflected mm -hmm. that. So, you know, it's it's quite interesting. So do you have a script or do you just freestyle? No, I tried doing the script, but it just, it it wasn't for me. And what I found is when people, I'd, I'd do the sales script and then they'd be like, yeah, yeah, send us over the terms of business and invoice. And I'd send it and then 
they wouldn't sign it and they wouldn't pay. Mm-hmm. And like, so actually they just probably said that to get, get off the call. Yeah. They were, or they'd had, or maybe they, their intentions were to sign up on the call, but then they've had time to think about it and actually it's not for them. And I'm like, I don't want to force people to want to invest with me. I want the people who want to invest to invest with me. So I, I think what I've found is sometimes it might take, like in fact, um, my latest investor that I've just signed up, I spoke to him, I think it was the beginning of last year. I had one call with him. He was interested. Um, I'd not like pushed him to sign up. And then I think I'd sent him a few examples over and I'd, I'd not been brilliant at following up with him. I th- I'd sent him some examples and then I'd not heard from him again. And then he messaged me uh, a week ago and said, oh, I'm like, I'm ready to invest now. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't take up lots of my time. It's just waiting for him to be ready. And now he's signed up and I've, I've taken on a, on a new client. Whereas some people, they already know because they've been watching me on LinkedIn for like a year. They already yeah. know when they get on the call that they're going to sign up. And that's, that's fine. It's just people, some people need need more uh, they need to get you to know you a little bit more and get that trust and make sure that they're happy at the end of the day they're handing over a large sum of money yeah. to you and they don't just want to give it to anyone um and i think sometimes when i was getting calls and people weren't signing up on the first calls or they weren't filling in the terms of business and transferring the money i was getting disheartened so i'm thinking oh it's something that that I was doing doing wrong. Whereas when I'm just my natural self and I answer people's questions, I give them some value, they can then take it away and think about it. I might have another call with them for, to answer some more questions. Like, I don't mind doing doing that and building that relationship to a stage where, yeah, I'm ready to, in, ready to invest now. Yeah, I mean, I don't subscribe to, if somebody's given us, you know, three, four, five, hundred thousand pounds, I mean, we've got clients that invest significantly more than that. I don't expect after one phone call, regardless of whether they've been following me on LinkedIn or any of the other social platforms or listening to my podcast or whatever else, I don't expect to have a 20-minute conversation with somebody and them to transfer me half a million pounds. In yeah. my experience, that's that's not how life works. But I thought the point you made there about LinkedIn specifically is, is really interesting because the more established you get, the easier it becomes to convert those people because people are risk averse. Yeah. And and now people will message and it's not untypical to get a message like, Ellie, um, I've been following you for two plus, three plus years sometimes. I love what you do, I love what you stand for. Bearing in mind, I very rarely even talk about property, but the, the profile set up in a way that people know what we can do. Yeah. They can click into my bio, etc. And they want to work with me specifically in the same way that they want to work with you specifically because property sourcers are ten a penny, yeah. or you know our avatars working with the fixed return, you know invest investors. We're not the people, the only people offering that service. But yes, they need to like, know and trust you. But, you know, we talk about the dark side of property. There's a lot of great people that could offer very similar returns. And the thing that differentiates you or differentiates me, the the USP that no one can replicate, is is just being ourselves. And people buy into that, don't they? That's it, definitely. Um, I mean, I remember at one point where I was... I want to start doing videos on LinkedIn, and I'm thinking, oh, I need to, I need to straighten my hair, I need to do my makeup, I need to put on my best clothes. And then the more I thought I had to do that, the more I wasn't doing it. So I'm like, well, I've not got time to do that. I've not got time to straighten mm-hmm. my hair. Whereas when I just went on, put my, add my hoodie on, which is what I'm wearing most of the time, add my hair scraped up, and just, yeah. just talked. Like I got so much interaction, so much reach, so many people contacting me, wanting to invest because I was just being, being myself rather than trying to be someone that that I'm uh, I'm not 
Yeah, and I think that's the that's the key, and I, I think people can tell as well when a post is for. So sometimes, like lately, I've been so busy, I've struggled to post on LinkedIn every single day, um, and I don't want to force anything that's unnatural, that's not coming from me, just for the just for the sake of a, a post. So I just want to, uh, yeah, be my authentic self, like you said. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. It's been incredible watching what you've achieved within a relatively short space of time. Thank you. Very excited mm -hmm. for what the future holds. Um, you're certainly um, a woman on the mission. Um, final question for you. Top tip for anyone starting out in property. What is the one thing you would advise them to do or not to do? Um, I'd say don't worry about being perfect. I think people try too hard to get everything perfect before they start and you're never going to be perfect. Even like the best property people in the world won't be perfect. Everyone's still learning, everyone's still making, making mistakes. So just start doing it. Don't worry about having a perfect script for your calls. Don't worry about having all your systems and processes in place. Just, just start, start putting things in motion. Starting now, get it perfectly. Yeah, that's it. Thoroughly enjoyed the interview, <laughs> Rochelle. You're a superstar. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That concludes another episode of The Power of Property. If you've enjoyed today's content, please make sure you leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share it with anyone you feel would get value from it. It really does make a difference. Until next time, goodbye.